You're listening to the New City Church Sermon Podcast. We exist to love God, to love our neighbors, and to make known the good news of Jesus Christ. To this end, we seek to cultivate a spirit-filled, gospel-centered community that multiplies disciples of Jesus and churches for the glory of God, the joy of all people, and the good of the city. If you'd like to learn more about New City, including service times, discipleship pathways, and opportunities to serve and fellowship with us, please visit us online at newcitykc.org. morning. Congratulations on hitting the, the germ lottery. If you are here, it means that you are not sick, which is mostly not true for almost most of this church, apparently, this Sunday. And for, uh, I mean, I, you know, wintertime, man, my kids are either sick or they're in the process of getting sick, it seems like. So uh, make sure that you are praying for the people in our church who are not feeling well or little ones are homesick. But uh, this morning, speaking of being alive, or at least partially alive and here in this church this morning, have you ever thought about the ridiculous miracle that you exist at all? Um, I think that, I think about this probably too much. You think about how many of your ancestors had to survive for you to get here. So since the first humans, how many of your ancestors had to survive famines and wars, the Black Plague, uh, tsunamis and hurricanes for you to get here? And then you even look at something like sexual reproduction, that your egg out of all the eggs inside of your mother was fertilized, and now you exist. You are a walking miracle. So with that in mind, I think that when we think upon that and we dwell upon that, it inspires us to not waste our existence. What's the point of my existence? I want to have a good, filled life, a life filled with goodness. Uh, When we imagine our lives, we imagine ourselves making the right decision. Uh, being the hero, doing what we're supposed to do. This is why we love stories so much, right? We love comic book stories where like, we want to be those heroes. We want to be the person who does the right thing. And so today, uh, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about goodness. What does the Bible have to say about goodness? And more specifically for us this morning, what does the story of David and Goliath have to say for us about goodness, right? And like most of you, Uh, This story has been always just like in my life, right? I had a, uh, like a, did you guys have one of those storybook Bibles when you were kids that had pictures in it? Well, mine had David holding a decapitated Goliath's head, right? Did anybody else have that one? My Bible was crazy, man. (laughs) Like, of course, it was like these, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed white people, like, and David's just standing over the body of Goliath holding the, the, his head up. It's always stuck in my brain for some reason. I don't know why. Perhaps it's pretty traumatic for a four-year-old to see. But this story is, is all around us. And I think uh, maybe like some of you, when this story was presented to me as a child, it was mostly presented in the light of like, wow, look at the courage of David. Wow, look at that guy go. Uh, and not too much of an emphasis upon God. <laughs> the story was always presented as like, hey, you need to be like David. And I'm sure... Maybe uh, some terrible sermon illustrations in there, right? Like, hey, you can slay your giants with your five stones of faith, hope, love, joy, and peace, or whatever you put into your sling to to slay your giants. But this morning, I want us to see that the, the story of 1 Samuel 17 is not a story chiefly about the faithfulness of David, but instead the faithfulness of the God he served. And the main point we're going to drive home, this is going to be running throughout the whole sermon, True inner beauty 
will always result in outward goodness. True inner beauty will always result in outward goodness. And so if you're new with us this morning, uh, we are trekking through the whole Bible together. Uh, we are doing this together. We're, uh, we're taking, as Ryan would say, a 10,000-foot view, right? We're not going in. Chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, if you go read it today, which you should, it's really great. It's a fun story to read. There's like 15 sermons in here. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to be up here for four hours preaching through all of this. We're taking a broad view to kind of get a glimpse of what is the story of the Bible all about? What is all of this about and what does God have for us to learn? So last week, we t uh, tackled 1 Samuel 16, which was the calling of David by Samuel the prophet, right? And the, and the point, uh, the main point that Ryan tried to drive home last week was this idea that, that God does not look on outward appearances, but instead looks on the heart. What is inside of us? What are motivations? So uh, our first point this morning, what is biblical goodness? What does it, this is a fruit of the spirit, right? We, we, we see this mentioned throughout the Bible. What, what does it mean to have goodness? A solid definition of goodness is an uprightness of heart and life. It is, to put it very simply, acting good, <laughs> choosing the right thing, doing the right thing. But the idea of goodness is always connected to our hearts. It's always connected to our hearts. What is the motivation behind our good actions or acting right? If you're a parent, you get this, right? Like, it's not that you want your kid just to obey. What do you want them to do? You want them to have a good attitude about obeying. You don't want them just to do the right thing. You want them to have the good motivations for doing the right thing. And we all know that outward obedience does not always reflect a heart that loves to do what is right. Outward obedience does not always reflect a heart that loves to do what is right. Uh, it's Psalm 51, this was mentioned last week. This is, this is kind of a, a central text uh, for us as we've been walking through the life of David. But he says in Psalm 51, verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice where I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a... Altar, verse 23 of chapter 5. And there remember that your brother has something against you. What are you supposed to do? Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Or I think one of the more poignant examples we have is of the widow who comes to the temple to give what little she has. And you guys remember who gives before her? It's the big guy in town. He's dropping those coins into that copper kettle. They're ringing. He's celebrating himself. And which, which gift is God pleased with? It's the widow. The motivations of our heart behind what we do are important to God. The Bible is filled with examples where the goodness we are called to walk in is not just an external thing. The goodness that flows from our lives always comes from a heart that has seen the beauty of God and wants to honor him with our lives. True inner beauty always leads to outward goodness. 
And this is how David in Psalm chapter 1, hopefully a really familiar psalm to you, he can say that his delight is in the law of the Lord, right? He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Right? How can David say that he delights in the law of the Lord? None of us like rules. I mean, for the most part, some of you, like type A weirdos with all your love for structure, you might like rules. I, on the other hand, do not. I went to a uh, Christian school growing up, and we had a dress code where we had to wear khaki pants and button shirts, and they had to be tucked in. Man, any chance I could get to untuck my shirt, I was... I was doing it. I hated these rules. And like many of you, we, we just somebody tells us to do something, and we just, nah, man, I don't want to do that. So how is David able to say that the rules or the law of God brings him delight? You think about the things that bring us delight. Uh, sunsets, our children and grandchildren, mountains and trees, uh, Ryan's crippling addiction to Mexican food, uh, beautiful music, all of these things bring delight to us. So what is it about the law of God that should fill us with delight? What is it about the law, the rules of God, that should fill us with delight? Because, guys, when we walk in the law of God, when we do what God has told us to do, it is the absolute best way to live. Okay, we, if you are going to find any motivation to overcome sin and to walk with God and to follow the guardrails and the parameters that God has set on your life, in the forefront of your mind, it has to be, listen, like, this is the best possible way for me to live. When I'm following the law of God, I'm living in accordance with what God has laid out for me to do with my life, and this is the best way for me to live. God did not set up these parameters and these rules to keep us from what we think is fun. He's protecting us. And when we embrace the law of God as a delight, it's because we see it as the best way to live. And if the one who made you, that we were just talking about this miracle of your existence, if the one who made you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who holds all the stars in place, shouldn't we trust that the guardrails that that God has placed for our lives are for our good? The law of the Lord it's for your good and for God's glory. When we follow the law of God, we are living our best life. This is what God has called us to do. And guys, God, I think my whole life growing up, my whole life, this was like a big hole in my discipleship. It seemed like most of faith was about like getting saved, right? I don't know if you guys know that language very well, like asking Jesus into my heart. I was terrified as a kid because I was like, I really thought like a little man like took up residence in my, my chest. Like I, I didn't really understand that language. Basically like get saved, say the prayer, don't mess up too much, don't do too much stupid stuff and then die and go to heaven. And that's pretty much what all of faith was about and we wait for heaven. You know, you, see, you hear all this language, I'm just, I'm just ready to, to die and go be with Jesus. And it's like, man, like guys, the, the, God made you to have a flourishing, beautiful life. Yes, is this world corrupted by sin and it, there's darkness everywhere? We just, man, we're following this stuff in Memphis, right, where we see the darkness of the world on full display, the wretchedness of the human heart on 
full display. The world is incredibly messed up. But man, is there light in this existence that God has given to us? Is there goodness to be had? Of course, God cares about your life. You are not just getting ready to die. This life has meaning, right? Uh, In Psalm 27, verse 10, David says, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord where? In the land of the living. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord here. And guys, if you want to see the goodness of the Lord, walk in the law of the Lord. Follow his ways. Guys, why do guardrails exist on the highway? Why do they exist on the highway? To keep cars from flying off the highway, (laughs) right? God puts guardrails on our life to keep us safe, to help us live the best life that we can possibly live and to give him utmost glory. So true inner beauty always leads to outward goodness. When we see the beauty of God, when we experience the beauty of, of God and take delight in his law, it'll lead to outward goodness. So how is goodness seen in the story of David and Goliath, right? This is our text for this morning. It's a long intro to get into Point number two, how do we see the goodness, how do we see this goodness, this beautiful inner goodness seen in the story of David and Goliath? So again, this passage is probably the most well-known passage in the Bible. It's used like every sports metaphor somehow always comes back to David and Goliath, right? We got a real David and Goliath matchup out here today. Like, um, Yeah, it's just a sports metaphor is always coming back to this. You hear this all throughout the world. David and Goliath is a really popular story. Uh, And we remember from last week, that David was anointed king over Israel by Samuel, but this did not mean that he mean that he automatically took power, right? Saul is still the king of Israel, uh, and he is David has not come onto the throne yet, uh, and so Saul was still running the country, and the people of Israel found themselves yet again battling with the Philistines. But this time, the Philistines had a secret weapon; basically, had the Hulk. Uh, they have this massive human in, in Goliath of Gath. Isn't that like the best? That's a sports name right there. Goliath of Gath playing second base. Or like Goliath of Gath, this huge human. Uh, And every day, this massive human would come out and challenge a man of Israel to a battle where if he won, if Goliath won, the Israelites would be their servants and their slaves. And if the Israelite won, the Philistines would be their servants. So if you will, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. 1 Samuel 17, verses 10 and 11. And it says, and the Philistines said, and this is day after day, he's coming out to just taunt the people of Israel. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid greatly afraid. So our little guy, Dave, is sent by his dad, Jesse. So this is going on in the battlefield far away. Jesse sends his son, little Dave, to take provisions to his brothers. And again, guys, this gives us another unique uh, glimpse into how unlikely it is that David should have been anointed king. You guys pick up, where is David while this battle is going on? Shepherding sheep. This is the guy in chapter 16 who's anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel. The Holy Spirit rushes upon him, and there's a huge battle going on with the Philistines. And what's David doing? Shepherding. His brothers, his older brothers are out fighting, and David is at home. 
But David is sent by his dad. Look at uh, chapter 17, uh, tw- 17 through 21. First Samuel 17, 17 through 21. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of, his, of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. Look down at verse 23. And as David talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And so at this point, David is absolutely shocked. He's blown away that no one is going out to fight this guy. Now, this is something that we're going to see over and over again throughout the scriptures as we walk through it, is Israel's lack of ability, and if we're being really honest, our lack of ability to remember what God has done, right? To remember what God has done. You think about all the way up until 1 Samuel, what what we've seen God do so far. You think it would be enough for Israel to know all of that, to believe all of that, to believe that God would give them victory over the Hulk, right? But they don't. They're terrified. They're sitting in their, you know, in their lines and they're terrified of this huge guy. And so David asked his brothers, he's like, hey, what has the king said will happen to the guy who goes and kills this Philistine? And look at this really fascinating, this is a whole sermon, but look at this interaction between David and his brother Eliab. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 28 through 30. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Now, if that name Eliab seems familiar, that's because this is the firstborn son of Jesse that we saw last week in chapter 16. This is the one that even Samuel, Samuel shows up, he's sent by God to Bethlehem to anoint a new king of the sons of Jesse. And he shows up and he sees Eliab and he's like, oh yeah, this is the dude. We found him, good looking, tall, strong. He says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And just as a quick side note, this is another beautiful theme that I hope you have seen as we've gone through the Bible so far. God never picks the person that we would. (laughs) He just never picks the one that we would. And he, guys, like if you go throughout the scriptures, he never picks the firstborn either. The one that's supposed to receive the blessing, it's never the firstborn. It's always the second or the third. Or in David's sense, he's not even close to the top. God never picks the person that we would. God does his best work with the seemingly most weak among us. Don't don't miss that as we walk through the scriptures. It's so hopeful when you read the Bible to see what messed up people God uses to accomplish his purposes, right? Because we relate to him, right? We get it. We feel intrinsically the, the, the depth of our stupidity, and we can resonate with these guys that, that, that God uses uh, to accomplish his purposes. And it's not Eliab. And we see that Eliab, not even this seemingly perfect candidate for king, 
was bold enough to go and fight Goliath. Not even this guy who looked like he should have been king was bold enough to go out and fight Goliath of Gath. So what is going to give David the strength and courage to go take on Goliath? How in this moment does he have the ability to choose the right thing? How does the inner beauty in David lead to outward goodness in this story? And look back at chapter 16, verse 13. I think this is where this whole passage hinges. This is something, again, we looked at last week. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. David is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That is how David is able to stand before the lines of these Philistines to be willing to go fight Goliath. And we, too, are filled with this same spirit. Uh, Look over at John chapter 14. We're going to be talking about this this Wednesday at Equip Night, about the power and the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 14, verse 25. Uh, These things have I spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you guys see what the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is in John 14? Being filled with the Holy Spirit lives to a, leads to a life without fear. It leads to a life of not being afraid. And this is the same spirit that draws David out to go and fight Goliath. He's filled with the Holy Spirit that leads to a life that is unafraid, grounded in his knowledge that the Lord was going to fight for him. Look back at 1 Samuel 17 uh, in verse 41. And it says, And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Remember my Bible picture. And I will give you the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. So this most unlikely person, David, in the most unlikely way, a a slingshot, right? I mean, this is, this is not an instrument of war that you would take out to fight the, the bravest warrior in the world. You would not take a slingshot. It's like taking a knife to a gunfight, right? Like he, he, this unlikely dude, this small guy, he's not even respected by Goliath, right? He steps out and God, God's like, man, did you send a little kid to fight me? And he brings out five stones and a sling. But look again at what David says in verse 47. Said the, says, the Lord does not save with sword and spear. 
And in the same way that God uses such an unlikely character in David, and in the, unmost light, in the most unlikely way to save his people, God sends forth Jesus to do the same for us. Jesus, born in Bethlehem to no-name parents, to no wealth or fame, nothing physically attractive to set him apart, a nobody is sent into the world to wage war on sin, death, and the devil, but not with a sword or a spear, but with the shed blood, with his shed blood on the cross. The inner beauty of David led to outward goodness in his defeat of Goliath. The inner beauty of Christ led to outward goodness in his defeat of death. Amen. That's good news. <laughs> so, uh, point number three, how do we get in on this goodness? How do we, how do we cultivate in a life of inner beauty that leads to goodness? I think number one, be reminded that the law of the Lord is a delight to us. That the guardrails that God places uh, on our lives are for our good and for our flourishing. Guys, like when we, when we follow the law of God, when we choose kindness over bitterness, when we, when we decide not to yell at our kids, when we really want to, this is the best way to live. <laughs> like when, we, when we are saying no to sin and yes to Christ, we are living our best life and being filled with this Holy Spirit, just like David, it leads to a life that is unafraid. Can you imagine your life without fear? Just our lives are just gripped by fear most of the time. We're scared of the future, scared of what's going on right now. We're crippled by anxiety. Man, like this is not the life that God wants us to live. And when we depend on God in his spirit working within us, he gives relief to our anxiety and our worry, right? And I'm not up here saying like, if you say a prayer, you'll no longer be anxious, right? Let's not get crazy. But like, man, as we walk with God, as we look to him, as he's working inside of us, man, worry and fear and anxiety uh, should dissipate and go away. And that his law is a delight to us. Like we sang earlier, that his words are sweeter than honey. They're better than life. David says, Lord, help me not to forget all of your benefits. Guys, that when we walk with the Lord, when we're following the law of God, we are walking in the best way that we could possibly live because the God who made you, the God who designed you in your mother's womb knows what's best for you. And he's given you his law. Man, so we delight in the law of the Lord. Number two, don't forget, I think this is really important. Don't forget that God is delighted in you. While this story of David and Goliath is chiefly a story about the faithfulness and power of God, it does not negate the courage of David and that God was pleased in David saying yes. Guys, God was pleased when David decided that he would go out and fight this Philistine, right? God is pleased with us when we choose to let go of bitterness and give mercy. God is pleased with us when we have self-control and we're not angry towards the people around us. God is pleased with us when we choose life over death. We can become so consumed with talking about how evil we are and how broken we are that we forget, we forget that God is pleased in us chiefly because of what Christ has done for us, but also he is pleased when we make daily decisions to walk in goodness. I think we get into this like this mindset where it's like, oh, it's all filthy rags. Guys, like God is pleased with you when you do the things that he's called you to do. 
right? And he's pleased with you because of Christ. This is such good news for us as we walk throughout our days. And guys, we're going to, this is what's crazy about this whole story. Like we, we read the whole counsel of God that David shows ridiculous courage in this. But what's going to happen in a couple chapters? What's going to happen in 2 Samuel? He's going to fall flat on his face, right? Saul, when he's initially anointed king, starts out great and eventually falls away, right? And what's the difference between those two? What's the difference between Saul and David? One pursues repentance and one does not. And that seems like a real big kicker as we study the life of David. And just as a side note here, I think that it's not, it's not a coincidence that chapter 18, the first uh, five verses are all about community, that we work out this goodness of learning how to live rightly in the world, to follow and delight in the law of the Lord together. David, it, he binds his soul to Jonathan. There's this beautiful friendship, guys, that we're not alone just to do this by ourselves, and we're called to live in a community of deep, intimate friendship where we learn how to do this together, right? That we're doing this together, not on our own. And God fills us with his spirit and also gives us beautiful other people around us to help us to grow. Don't miss that. And then number three, Jesus is the better David. While David shows great courage and defeats Goliath, As we go on, we are going to see that David is going to fall flat on his face. He is not going to walk in goodness, but instead in heinous sin. But Christ walks through this life perfectly with an inner beauty that always manifested itself with outward goodness. And this culminates in his death and resurrection, which secures for us life. David's defeat of Goliath brought the people of Israel one victory. David defeated Goliath and brought them one victory. Christ's defeat of death on the cross secures victory for us forever, right? The battle belongs to the Lord. And as we walk through this world with all of its darkness, when we keep that in mind, that hey man, this battle belongs to God. Like I'm called to do my part. I'm called to pursue inner beauty that leads to outward goodness. I'm, I'm called to say yes, but man, who, who ultimately controls all things? It's God And we can rest in that. We can rest in knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord, that God is accomplishing his purposes, even what seems like the darkest night. Even when we can't see it, God is working and redeeming all things, that his kingdom, you know, he says, he says, my kingdom is not of this world, right? That he is ushering in a kingdom sometimes that we struggle to see. So pursue inner beauty that leads to outward goodness. Delight in the law of the Lord. Find all your delight in the law of the Lord. Read the law of the Lord and learn the law of the Lord so that it might get worked out in our lives and the people that we interact with. If we're to be set apart and different, we're to be called to be different from the world around us, it comes through delighting in the law of the Lord and knowing, deeply knowing that God is not just perpetually angry with you, that he's not just this, my whole life, I've told you guys this before, growing up, I just had this picture of God like this angry old white man, like with his hand back. He's just like waiting for me to step out of line so he could just smack me. Because when you read the scriptures, is that the God that's presented to us? No, it's a God of grace, second chance after second chance. And guys, God is delighted in you because of Jesus. And he's also delighted in you when you say no to sin and yes to him. He's delighted in you because it's the best way for you to live. 
cultivate this inner beauty that leads to outward action and goodness. And every week, uh, we have the opportunity where we come before this table together, where we, we, we take of this bread and this cup to remind us of the one who was perfect for us, the one who gave his life so that we could go free. And we at this church, there'll be two lines. You come up and you take a piece of the bread off and you dip it in the cup. Uh, and if you are allergy-free, there's stuff in the middle or if singular cups if you don't want to dip. But man, when we come to this table, we're remembering that Jesus is the better David. While David was able to slay Goliath and chop his head off, man, Jesus conquers death and sin for us. And when we take of this, we're remembering that. We're getting that into our bones and remembering what God has done for us in Christ. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, God, thank you uh, for the blood of Christ that covers all of our sins. Lord, thank you for the grace that we've received in Christ. Lord, as we come to you this morning, God, we pray that the story of, of David and Goliath would, would ring true in our hearts, not as a story chiefly about the courage of David, but God, of your faithfulness and goodness to your people, that you always fulfill your promise. God, the promise given to Abraham of a blessing to this nation, God, is, is fulfilled in this story uh, of David, and God, it's being fulfilled in us as we live and work this out in our lives, God, that you are uh, ushering in your kingdom, this blessing to the whole world. And Lord, as we take of this bread and this cup today, Lord, Lord, would we be reminded that you have ultimately conquered sin for us, that your body was broken and your blood was spilled so that we might have life. Be honored in us as we take it, Lord. If there's any uh, sin, God, unrepentant sin within us, Lord, at this time, would we take a moment to, to be quiet before you? Lord, to confess those sins, Lord, that our hearts and our, our motives and our intentions might be right before you as we come to this table today. Lord, thank you for all that you've given us. We offer all of this to you. May you be pleased with it today. In Jesus' name, amen.